the second most difficult moment of my life besides someone passing away was taking my jersey off for the last time. After that, my self-worth, my reason for living, et cetera, was crashing and burning. When I would go back into a gym, I knew the workouts. I didn't have a lot anymore. Welcome to the Tano podcast hosted by me, Danielle Gray, founder of Train Like a Gymnast. This show aims to help formerly competitive athletes succeed at life after organized sport. Tenno serves a community of recovering perfectionists and high achievers who want to become their best selves through discussions about mental health, personal development, movement education, setting expectations and boundaries, as well as limiting beliefs. If you're hearing this message, that means there's still space left in our 2023 Bali retreat. All you got to do is go to trainlikeagymnast.com slash retreat to learn more. All of that information will be in the show notes and we hope to see you there. Welcome to the 10 Podcast. Today, we've got Adam Quigley. Also, how do I know you? Is it just from events? Yeah, I think the first time we met each other, we did backflips together. At that a, was the first time? A gym, I think so. I really At least meeting. I, yeah. I mean, through, through Lauren through the years, but not actually in, in person, I don't believe. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, yeah, I think it was at camps. Yeah. And then my friend Janie was, oh, so that was like June. Well, it's fun, like being able to keep up with your, uh, with all your life happenings. Also, you just you kind of sporadically pop up here and there. And now you're doing this. Now you're over here, which is awesome. That's so, how it for, feels. yeah, I'm sure. So, if people aren't familiar with who you are, give a give a little background about yourself. Tell us a little bit. Sure. So, I'm Adam Quigley. I am from the DMV area in Maryland. I'm right outside in between DC and Baltimore. I've been out in Los Angeles over the past two and a half years. Um, professionally, I'm a certified athletic trainer. And what that means is I can manage and work with injuries and preventative care from the onset through the return to play or the return to activity. Because of that, I've traveled the country and traveled the world working with different professional organizations such as um, the New Orleans Saints, San Antonio FC, which is a second division soccer team in the LA Galaxy, um, in US soccer, and a handful of others. And now since being in LA, I've jumped a bit further into the, the deep end with working into the performance and entertainment worlds. And uh, so it's been very exciting. I've since then, and, and since leaving the Galaxy, I've started really seeing the importance of how we each can take care of our bodies, but it's not always the same, the same routine uh, fits all. So mm -hmm. I've been kind of customizing and creating daily habits and different ways to work through people's own concerns, issues, and, and kind of wellness hiccups, things holding them from being their best. And I've been you know, working it now in, in this music space and, and dance with uh, the Jabberwockies, which is a pretty exciting dance crew that uh, has a, an in-production show in LA. And then I went on tour this summer, which was part of what mm -hmm. you were speaking on of where in the world is Quigs today. And, and that was a <laughs> tour with uh, a band called Five Seconds of Summer. So um, it's been a whirlwind of a year so far. Uh, and I'm finally back in Los Angeles looking to get grounded. But it's been a, a good learning journey. So that's where yeah. I am today. I love it. It's it's fun to watch. And it's, it's interesting that you say, you know, the way we take care of our bodies is not a one size fits all, which in gymnastics, because, you know, it's it's uh, pretty, pretty regimented where, okay, 
if you don't look the same as the person next to you, like you're, you're doing it wrong or everyone has to stand the same. Everyone needs to do this. It is changing, but that has been kind of the, the way of the sport for the past few decades. So I'm really, we're going to get into this later, but I'm really interested to see kind of what you see a lot um, with athletes and your own experiences. Also, we did backflips together, like the first time we met. So how do, how do you know how to backflip? So my first sport was actually gymnastics. Um, my mother is a sign language interpreter and she would interpret for some deaf kids that were doing gymnastics when I was in the womb even. So oh. she would go to the gym. It was called Fairland Gymnastics in Maryland. And so I would then start to go with her through the years. And so I was in gymnastics from three until probably 12, mm. I think, 11 or 12. Um, I don't think I was 13, but I competed at Fairland, went up to, went down to class five when the men's were class seven down to class one. Mm. And then when it flipped to levels, I went up to level eight. Mm-hmm. or level nine um was like the all-around state champion in maryland and then had a fun time through the years and that's actually um funny enough you ask my beginning of the exploration of sports medicine one of my teammates uh finally i i always tell the story about the pommel horse and i have to explain what the apparatus is and everything, but <laughs> yeah, we gymnastics. understand here <laughs> yay gymnastics um, so one of my teammates fell off the pommel horse and reached out behind him, which you're taught not to do when you fall, uh, uh-huh. and he dislocated his elbow. Mm. We're, we'll get right into it. And yep. we we're about probably eight or nine, maybe 10, and um, I ran right over to him and started my triage that I didn't know was a thing <laughs> at the time. Right. And so they called the ambulance, and I went and, and grabbed some uh, a little snack for him if he were to be hungry on, on the way over in the ambulance. and. Um, between that and then we had a, uh, a dual credentialed physical therapist and athletic trainer that would come into the gym every other week, I believe his name was Tom Yates and he was kind of my original mentor and he would set up shop in, in a corner of the gym and people would go over in pain of this is sore on my back or this is my ankle, whatever it was, they'd work with him and then they would walk back and say, wow, I feel better. And so that was my first kind of exposure to sports medicine and and therapy and how rather than holding people back of of what they're looking to achieve, it's propelling them forward to literal higher heights in in the gymnastics case, but I'm allowing them to move more fluid, uh, be be in less pain or pain-free and and, uh, a bit more mobile. So yeah, Yeah. gymnastics has a, a very strong hold on on my past and my present so it's exciting yeah absolutely it's also kind of like why I wanted you on here because while I am branching out to talking with different or people from different sports like you have that foundation and that background which is a lot of the people who listen to like they were a gymnast or they you know are gymnastics enthusiasts they keep up with it or that's really what led them to be successful in other areas I skipped the lightning round but I think I might just do that at the end with you. I do like a little this or that Sounds in the beginning. Good. But we like let's get into it. Um, so you've already co- covered your athletic background. So like, what what did gymnastics teach you? I'm gonna break this apart. What did gymnastics okay. teach you? And then what did sports in general teach you for life lessons? So the the first thing gymnastics taught me is anatomy and how the body moves. 
um, but a, a bit deeper than just simply like a hollowed position or arch. And it taught me about levers and how yeah. you need to have weight distributed one way or the other in order to shift momentum to get over the bar, under the bar, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it also taught me how to move and what mobility means that it's not just flexibility yeah. of my leg can touch my face, mm-hmm. but why does my leg need to touch my face? And then where does it go from there? Yeah. Um, that you need the stability and strength within this full range of motion and ways of gaining this mobility or gaining correct movement was the repetition and how sometimes tedious, but when you have a goal in mind, it can be very difficult. It can be very painful of landing on a bar, landing on your head or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but the consistency and reevaluating where I was in the, in the skill learning process, um, translates very well into my connection and relationship with athletes and patients, because I've gone through both the injury processes, but also the learning of why isn't my foot doing that? Like it, I really want it to be able to do this, but it's not, or why can't I get over the bar during, during this giant or that giant? And it it takes time to sit there and reflect and be very true to ourselves and clear and honest of like, look, man, yeah, you're you're letting go of this ganger at the wrong time. You're holding on too long. Like there are mm-hmm. there, there's a lot of moments of small point one second decisions that in sport they're mm-hmm. very relevant, but in gymnastics it's you know considered the life or yeah. death almost of of how you land. Exactly. Do you think? Like looking back and thinking about how you were doing some of these things when you were, you know, preteen, do you think it's easier to learn skills then or now that you have like different knowledge about the body? Um, well, I haven't tried to learn a skill over the past okay, almost cool. 20 years. If you were to try to so learn a skill, if do I were think? to learn, I think it would be conceptually i think it would be easier Mm. because i could see and visually like with observation i know when this needs to happen or that needs to happen yep although i don't think i would be as fearless exactly so i would just send stuff into a pit (laughs) send it just yeah all right we're gonna do a triple back great let's do Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. and however you land is how you land Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who listen to this who are adult gymnasts. So it's like they're trying to still keep up with it and they're doing it. And it's like, whoa, I've learned I've learned things as an adult that I was never able to do when I was competitive. And really? yeah, and even training five days a week. And I just like I couldn't yeah. get it I, or I didn't have the upper body strength or I didn't have I couldn't understand it. And then now there are certain things that I am doing and it's way easier. It makes more sense. So some people have that and some people have the like oh, I don't trust myself as much. I wouldn't be as fearless because I actually know what's happening. <laughs> you know, yeah, those sure. kinds of things. So I just, I was interesting to, you know, hear yeah. if one would be easier or the other. So yeah. is there anything that like sports did not teach you in preparation for life after sport, like organized sport? It didn't really teach me how to translate activity and act. Well, that sport is just a form of exercise and activity. Mm-hmm. And so when I, I, I played college soccer and 
the second most difficult moment of my life besides like someone passing away was taking my jersey off for the last time mm-hmm. uh, after losing an NCAA, the national tournament. And after that, my self-worth, my reason for living, et cetera, was all crashing and burning. Exactly. And then when I would go back into a gym, not a gymnastics gym, but a uh, like a, a weight Regular. room. Regular, yeah. I didn't know, like I knew the workouts of what to do, but I didn't really have a why anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't have a why anymore. And so that was a transition that is actually, it's a very large and prominent issue in collegiate and, and professional sports because when you step away from the game or the sport or whatever it is as your activity, um, your passion and, and your purpose is, is a bit in question. And there was no real support system for that. It, mm-hmm. it really was just dependent on what I chose or who I cho- chose to speak to. Um, and when leaving gymnastics, a lot of people, I think, leave gymnastics on their own terms, I would hope at least. Uh, mm-hmm. It's my choice because I want to focus on another sport or like, I personally left because a lot of my friends had left and I didn't really love the coach anymore that I was working with. And, and soccer seemed to be a bit more in the, in the forefront for scholarships and things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and I, I may be wrong in that, that thought, but sometimes um, injuries too, but yeah, I mean, I yeah, sure. That. But you, you don't, I guess, I guess in the college level, you do have eligibility. So, so I'm, I'm probably incorrect in that statement uh, at the latter years in life. Um, but gymnastics is something I could do right here. You know, I could work on handstands. I could work on floor circles and flares and I could work, turn into a B-boy essentially. Yeah. But where organized sport, I was lucky that soccer is something that's played worldwide, but had it been volleyball or basketball or American football, Mm -hmm. that whole world of, of connection and, and camaraderie with a team is thrown out the window where in gymnastics, it, it may be a little less common across a city. You know, you don't you don't have it out on fields across a, uh, across the cityscape. But now I've learned more about calisthenics through through you all, and yeah. and there's always other ways to take care of your body and to work through it. Um, that is based in the gymnastics uh, foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You know, yeah, it's a it's a tough transition, honestly, leaving sport, which is why I stayed in it for so long. Yeah, and that's that's part of what train like a gymnast is all about too. It's it's you're just training like a gymnast, training like a soccer player, training like this. You're you're still doing the yeah. conditioning and stuff needed. Well, maybe you're not competing anymore, but just because you're not competing anymore doesn't mean that you shouldn't move ever again, or you shouldn't, or you can't do that sport. And a lot of times yeah. in gymnastics, people think after you're 18, after you're 21, or you're done with college, like you're done, you're retired, you're not going to do that anymore. It's not a part of you. But that identity shift that you're were, you were talking about, like, yes, you take that jersey off, or yes, you take the leotard off, or the, you know, whatever yeah. uniform you're wearing, but that's just that chapter of it. Okay, now you get to move into doing it recreationally if you're not burnt out, which is a big issue that a lot of people end up burning out of their sport because they do it so intensely and then they want nothing to do with it so if we can find a way to break the stigma of okay a bunch of adults are doing cartwheels on a field for fun like why is that weird but anybody can play like soccer or you know 
throw throw a baseball around and it's fine. It's cute. But like, why is doing cartwheels weird? I don't know. But that's what's kind of like been built in because, oh, that's like a kid's sport. That's what kids do. And it's your, your foundation for the rest of your life. And like yeah. you, you can find different ways like calisthenics or focusing on handstand specifically or flexibility, or you can use that foundation to then enter other sports so you can understand it better or move better and have that better base. Um, yeah. I, I, I still move and, and have my frame because of gymnastics. Yeah. I like, I don't work out as much as you would expect the mm-hmm. way that I look. Yeah. So it's a lot of it's made on the back to those V ups and yes. handstands and toe mm-hmm. touches and it totally is. Yeah. Good times. I I was the kid that got people extra conditioning because oh Danny's not trying hard enough. Everybody start over. But and then now I have a business where I'm teaching people conditioning. <laughs> Everybody's like, favorite what? teammate. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, that was always me. But hey, who's the one? who's still in shape, the one who's changing lives yeah. and the ones who's like actually teaching it to other people, you know, so. hundred percent. At that age, being pushed that hard. Yeah. You don't really get pushed like that in other sports. No. I would say like soccer. Okay. Go run an extra lap. Yeah. But it's like, okay, you're going to be fatigued. It may be late at night. Like I got sent on. It was very scary to me on just a run at night out like into the woods down to a river. And that was like part of me overcoming my fear of darkness. It wasn't just me on my own, but it was with a group of us. Uh It was like a a conditioning run, but I was like nine or 10 years old. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we have woods here, but yeah, we ran around the building, but (laughs) yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting sport and it is definitely changing, you know, the culture. So I kind of want to go into your, you know, what you do professionally, it, it right now based on what we're talking about like what's the most common injury that you see in athletes it could be you know if if you're you know working with soccer players or just athletes in general and why do you think that is um so soccer players the most common injury statistically is ankle sprains mm-hmm. now ankle sprains are fairly managed easily mm-hmm um, because you can just, if they're playable, you can wrap them up and, and send them on their way. Um, the biggest concerning issue that's limiting are muscular injuries such as hamstrings and then low back issues, I think, putting them into spasms. And the low back issues are what I manage most in um, the dancing population as mm. well as in like the general population. I would say um, it's not it's not as clear as disc herniations or you know vertebral microfractures things like that. It's a lot of times as we sit on computers and train ourselves into one postural position of seated. I even put this computer up. Usually, it's a little lower, and I'm mm. seated like this, looking like here, and mm-hmm. it shifts our whole vertebral column forward. And then I go out and I try to run, sprint, cut, jump, whatever it is. Yeah. That's where a lot of the time that the, the, these back concerns come from. Um, <clears throat> so it, a lot of what I do is patient education of kind of clearing up the, the reasoning of why this ache or pain is. 
I listened to a TED talk a few years ago. I should look it back up to see who gave it, but um, it was a woman that was a heavy, heavy researcher and educator in some type of medicine. And she had some type of issue, like a medical issue of some sort. And she went doctor to doctor to doctor, and no one was giving her the support that she thought that the direction would go. And so she started to just document and essentially did her own case study of, of herself being the research uh, research mouse, whatever it is. Yeah. And because of that, she then started to see the trends of, wow, let's say my low back started to hurt after I flew to New York and back in the same week and was on a plane for 12 hours in two days. It mm. wasn't the one extra squat rep I did in the gym. Right. Right. So part of it is, is really observing and, and documenting what we're doing daily mm -hmm. um, for our hips, for our feet, um, for our upper body, what, whatever it is, and just seeing what are the, what are the trends and tendencies that have been a bit outlying one way or the other of either lack of movement or excess movement yeah and in, in repetition and, and just kind of going from there and, and that a lot of the time is actually what leads to injuries in, in the professional sports world too is if you mm -hmm. you run a normal amount in a week and then you have three games in a week well that means you need to lower the training load if you have that excess right. workout in in the games and and some coaches don't do that and mm -hmm. then you end up with blown hamstrings and things. Exactly. And that's kind of that leads into the how can athletes, quote unquote, injury proof themselves, which is not possible, but like be in better shape to stay at peak performance so that they don't have to, they push and then they get injured and then they're off for a little while and then they have to work harder to get back to where they were if they can get back there or further. And yeah. this is what a lot of adults getting back into sports deal with as well so what what can they do to help injury proof quote unquote um prepare preparation is a big part of that i think one of the biggest things that's the easiest to, to touch on is people that play pickup or play in sports leagues get out of their car walk onto the field and play mm. Mm -hmm. and that's usually in the evening it's after a full day of work a lot of jobs are seated so you're asking someone to essentially get up from 10 hours of inactivity and go run, sprint, change direction, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Of course, you're going to have something come up. That's like one of the <laughs> one. It, I, I really dislike that I feel this way sometimes. But when people get injured on the field yeah. after I talk to them about like, hey, you should warm up or hey, you should get moving before you sub in and it happens. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. yeah, oh, man, come on, man. Yeah, it's preparation. So it's going through the movements. You don't need to be a professional performance coach to go through it. Look, if you're going to run, cut, and move during a sport, or if you're going to dribble and shoot playing basketball or even in gymnastics, have an idea of what the session is. Mm -hmm. Do minimize movements such as that. So you don't need to throw a cartwheel right over, but you can start with handstands. You can start with, you know, wrist circles like go through the motions that you're going to be doing at a heavier level um prepare yourself that way and then also listen to your body it's a tough the, the last two things are listen to your body of if something is starting to ache or nag mm -hmm. it's not your body saying your calf is sore you should keep pushing there's some there's some parts of our bodies like calves in particular when yeah. your calf starts to bother you it has an injury. 
Mm. It yeah. has something, uh, it may be a little small strain, but our calves don't just get sore unless it's a cramp, but it, it they don't just get sore and achy in one specific spot. So if that's the case, don't keep tumbling. Yeah. Now, with that being said, as far as listening to your body, we have to appropriately overload our system to mm -hmm. train it to gain conditioning. Right. So do that within a controlled setting where it can sometimes be before the session, depending on what it is or after. But if you know that you're going to have a super hard day in the gym or a super hard day on the field, maybe not, don't do it that day. But if you can maybe do it the day after, the day after that, where you have a normal, a normal lifting session, go for the extra run, do some sprints, do them controlled, but train your body to prepare and, and perform at that 90%, 95, 100% to do that. Because uh, in, in the last thing I'll say is in sport, there's a big misconception of with hamstring injuries is that you need to you need to allow the hamstrings to work at 100% of their capacity, right? So if you're going to sprint in a game mm -hmm. full out, that can't be the one time a week your hamstrings reach <laughs> that level, right? Because right. the week after, maybe you don't sprint or maybe you're a sub and then your hamstrings haven't reached their, their total output for a week or two at a time. Mm. So you have a day and it doesn't have to be 10 times, but you work your way up to a hundred percent sprint. Now, oftentimes athletes, and I understand this from the athlete and myself is like, man, I just can't hit a hundred today. So then they'll hit 85 or 90, but 90% mm -hmm. is not 100%. Mm -hmm. And that 10% can be a pretty decent overload of that. Right. And that's where you end up having these, these, uh, these injured muscles. Right. And, and as you were talking about mobility before, I feel like this isn't taught in like basic level of gymnastics. It's taught more as you're doing a lot more intense stuff, but the difference between active and passive flexibility to have, if you have, like, if you're, if you can bring your leg up to your face, right but you can't hold it there, the bigger the gap between the two, the more likely you are to injure it because you don't have the strength to keep it in that extended range of motion. So mm -hmm. how do you work on any kind of mobility, like active flexibility with, with your patients? Um, and if so, what, what do you do or what would you recommend for people who are getting back into gymnastics specifically? Yeah. So the, the easiest thing I can say to that is work on stability through your mobility. So if you have this range of motion, do exercises through that range of motion. So as far as gymnastics goes, the, the exception to the rule is like, you know, you can put your into a, a split, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you need to do groin squeezes and go all the way out and all the way back in. But mm -hmm. at that end range, go through little flutters or at least isometric, which is where your muscle contracts, but it doesn't actually change the, the motion. Mm -hmm. um, so going through isometrics through different changes. The other one is working in the direction you're stretching in. So if I'm stretching my hamstring up towards my face, activating the quad and hip flexor still rather than just allowing the hamstring to, to lengthen and, and turn off. And a lot of that can come from like yoga type, type mobility. I personally, with a lot of my athletes do something called yoga, 
which is J O G A, and it's um it was created as yoga for jocks, um, <laughs> and that's an all encompassing jock, not just men, but mm-hmm. it was created by this woman named Jana Webb, who also starts with a J, so it was kind of her yeah. her touch on it, and it was created because she had all these different athletes she would work with as a yoga instructor and they couldn't do tree pose. They couldn't do warrior and Mm -hmm. they would see what she was doing. And as an athlete, great. That's what she's doing. It's a competition. I'm going to do it. Not only like that, but I'm going to do it better. Competition. Look, you you cannot do it better and better than your teammates. Right. Yeah. So there's different cueing of, you know, put your heel towards the ground versus put your heel on the ground. Because mm. when you can't put your heel on the ground in a in a downward dog, yep. then I'm going to get my heel on the ground because coach said put my heel on the ground. So then it turns into a compensation of, well, then that motion is going to come from my low back. Right. So now downward dog, which is supposed to be decompressing the low back, is now loading the low back as mm-hmm. a, a flexed position. Um, so one, one of the concepts she teaches with, with her work is working with, strengthening and stability through the mobility that you have not that you're trying to gain because when you have control over the mobility from let's say zero to 80 you can then get to 81 percent, 82 85 rather than no control over right. that 60 to 80 percent span and you're just trying to push it to mm-hmm. 85 or 90 right because the muscles have to feel like they're still in control or you get pushed down into a split as I mm-hmm. think we probably both did as, as children. Mm-hmm. And then you have that range of motion because your muscles have been stretched to that length. Yeah. And like, I, I can still do my left and right split, which is yeah. incredible. Same. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> middle. Um, I can't do the middle anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. But that's because of oh. the positions. Like we, yeah. we still do yes. what would be called sagittal plane movement, right? Mm-hmm. It's front and back. You know, but this like... whole... <laughs> frontal yeah. plane side to side it's like no our legs are generally yeah know, seated right they're together we're walking they're together they they don't go wide unless we're running and our mm-hmm. leg slips out from under us you know so right so it's exactly. a big concern that middle split uh-huh i, I want it but yeah, yeah. um <laughs> so you're familiar with uh jen esker now jen yeah Fabroni. Um, she was our first, yeah, yeah, the first, um, guest on our podcast way back in season one. And she talks about, I can't remember if it was in that episode or just in general, she talks about pain being good because pain is like an alarm system. It tells you, Hey, you're doing something wrong. You should probably stop or something is hurting. This is like warning that it's going to get worse or you have an issue and to take care of it, pay attention to it. Do you share that same philosophy or do you have a different um, like metaphor for pain? So pain is one, a very difficult sensation to to describe and to speak on Mm -hmm. because so for instance, foam rolling, I can foam roll. And for me, that pain means nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. Because to me, it's now just a sensation of ache. Yeah. If you put someone that's never foam rolled before on yes. it, yep. this pain is a 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10. Oh, my God. And they let right. you know. Pain is oh my subjective. Goodness, I can't yeah. handle this. Mm-hmm. It's subjective, sure. Yeah. But I think that, and what she may be speaking on that, that I do agree with is 
learning how your body creates and yes. reacts to sensations and feeling mm -hmm. is very important to understand and that it's not something to run from. Right. Yes. Which I, I do agree with. Exactly. And that doesn't mean if you feel pain, continue to push through it. Exactly. <laughs> because there is a difference between feeling pain and feeling injury or feeling an ache. And, mm. and some of, and on the medical side, it's sometimes tough because I need to err on the side of caution. Right. Right. If, so, if an athlete comes up to me and says, hey, my hamstring is really bothering me. And objectively, they have a lack of strength. They have a lack of mobility. I then can't appropriately return them to play mm -hmm. until we have their motion back and, and their, their, um, right. back to a hundred percent or at least near it. But an athlete, I've had athletes, generally the, the older teens that say that. And then the next day they come in, Hey coach, I'm good. And they can play no problem. Yeah. And it's like, well, then I've already told the coach that, Hey, you know, I don't know about Danielle today. She, she may need another day. Yeah. And she sprints out to the field and says, hey, everyone, I'm fine. And then it kind of looks makes me look like mm -hmm. I was wrong. Mm -hmm. But that's why structurally those conversations are, look, this is my decision-making pattern of she's lacking this, she's lacking this, or she needs this to return to play safely. Um, so that's where learning our bodies of what's painful, what's not. And it it's so tough. And I'm not a great, great person at it either. But if something bothers us and we feel it and it's painful mm -hmm. to then maybe write it down in like, I think the easiest thing is like in a planner where you put, you know, on Tuesday, I did, it doesn't need to be specific. I did five sets of, of eight hamstring curls and on the sixth set of the fourth, whatever, it doesn't need to be that way, but it can be, I was doing hamstring curls on the fourth set. I felt a twinge mm -hmm. because on the next day or the day after, people forget what the cause was. So if my legs are now super fatigued and sore, okay, well here may be why the issue is there. But if you feel the next day that that hamstring ache doesn't really bother you, yeah, it could just be a fatigued muscle that is starting to, to catch on you. Um, so, so learning what that is and then acknowledging it, I think is very, very important and not always running from it either. Right. Yeah. It's, it's you, the pain is like, and, and fatigue, all of those things are, are data coming in to you and you get to make a choice mm -hmm. and choose what to do from there. Okay. What is this like out of 10? Do I feel like I can continue? Do I need to take it back? And that, and that goes back to the listening to the body. So it's like, yeah. be grateful that your body is giving you that because how terrifying would it be if we never had pain and had injuries? <laughs> Like we would be a broken like pile of bones. Brutal. Yeah. So so we are grateful that our body is giving us those signals to then make a choice and, and decide what to do from there. Um, the kind of to, to wrap up, because I do a lot of uh, physical and mental training. Do you think it's possible for athletes to be successful by focusing solely on their physical training? Why or why not? solely on their physical training. Um, so it comes down to principle and it depends on our definition of success. Mm -hmm. So I think an athlete that is a basketball player can successfully dunk on someone if they just focus on physicality. 
or to beat someone on a sprint or change a direction, mm-hmm. generally by the type of success we're speaking on is an Olympian or a champion of swords. Mm-hmm. I do think, and, and the best athletes I've ever spoken with and worked with are very, very big on repetition and they're very, very big on um, vision and imagery. Um, and I think that the repetition side of things is physical, but it's it's a mind-body connection of like, neuromusculature if if you will of connecting the mind of this is the motion that i need to do in this instance and with these decisions um drew Brees uh is a guy works with on the saints as a quarterback and he would stay hours and hours after everyone else and it's just like a public thing that's that's spoken about to watch film and when he came off the field and threw a pick or it wasn't a, a good decision on his end he was absolutely pissed off because he should have known better when the defense lined up this way. And, you know, he should have known that that linebacker was going this way and he could have played the, the ball here. And that, although it's film and to the athlete, that's still physical. Mm-hmm. It's mental decision-making right. is, is what he's, he's working on. Mm-hmm. So when Actually, I I took a, a a youth national team that I was working with a few weeks ago through imagery, and just closing their eyes and going through some mental um, yeah. uh, visualization, and they were like, "Whoa, you know, I I imagine myself scoring that goal." I was like, "Look, we're not creating deja vu for ourselves, but I promise you that when you're then put in that position, it's yeah massive for gym for gymnastics in particular." Yeah. Um, but when you're in that position, you know, that's where the bar is going to be, or that's where the ball is going to be coming in mm-hmm. and putting yourself in that, that position to then be successful. Yeah. So to answer, I, I think it's, it's a mix of both as far as mental and physical training go. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a whole, it, it's a, a few more even variables of, of overall wellness to be successful. Um, yes in addition to simply uh, physical and and mental toughness, if you will. Yeah. Such as what else is coming to your mind? Um, So one of the, one of the coaching kind of sessions that I do with people is I work with six types of wellness. There are some programs that work with seven or eight, um, but it's emotional, spiritual, physical, um, intellectual, occupational, and social wellness. Um, those are the ones I work through. I think that less is more in these types of things. When you start to ask people to categorize and break down this into eight parts versus six. Um, and, and it's pretty clear when people lack a skill in one of them or two of them. Um, and the skill I'm, I'm more so mean as when, when they lack success in that space, Mm-hmm. Um, skill to be successful, if you will. And um, so uh, an, an easy example of this type of thing is that an athlete I worked with very closely a couple of years ago lost uh, one of his older sisters in a, a freak car accident. And the impact that had on his emotion, so his emotional wellness, his mm-hmm. social wellness, his intellectual wellness, so he wasn't thinking clearly on the field and you could tell because of his positioning, Mm-hmm. you could tell that his physical was off because I would feel soreness and tightnesses in his body that were very abnormal. Um, mm-hmm. and that sometimes he wasn't even aware of, I would start working on, you'd say, Hey, can you work on 
my hamstrings and calves and I would just kind of intuitionally see how he was breathing and go to maybe his low back and something would release me and be like, oh my goodness. And there would be a massive exhale mm -hmm. and I could tell there was a weight leaving his shoulders. So simply a, a trauma like that also was a, was a, a weight on the spirituality side and whether that's religion or God or not, mm -hmm. a higher power, or just a belief in whatever a person believes in. It's more about supporting that person in whatever that is mm -hmm. neutrally and seeing how shifting a thought or shifting a mindset can affect that to, to keep them at, at that next level. Yeah. I love that. I'm really, I'm already yeah. like thinking about when I'm going to release this and when it's going to be most impactful and who's going to hear it the most. I'm like so excited for this episode <laughs> to come out. Well, let's finish up with that lightning round that I had. It's just like a little fun. It's usually an icebreaker, but this is just going to be like a fun little doodle. Um, Cause I did a little I'm bit good. of research on like your, your LinkedIn too, just to see what happened like before I knew you and everything. So yeah. five questions, this or that first thing that comes to mind, USC, California or USC, South Carolina. Oh, go Cox, baby. Oh, okay. And then <laughs> fight on. Um, West Coast or East Coast? Uh, West Coast. Hey, that's surprising. Upper body or lower body? Lower body. Uh, for sure. <laughs> core or cardio? Uh, oof, core. <laughs> okay, good. Although I want to say cardio because I think it's better for my mind. But I like uh, Okay. <laughs> and then morning person or night owl? Oh, night owl. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, I it's love dependent it. on what's going on, but I do yeah. like working at night. Ah, that's good. It's that game cool. day, you know? that That's competition uh, time. Under the lights, it's a it's Okay, a okay. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 No, that's true. Uh, I've loved this conversation so much. Very excited yeah. for everyone to hear. I hope if you're listening, you've learned something new. You, it, Something has piqued your interest or your... Uh, you know, you're lurking his account right now, whatever it may be. Uh, but if people want to know more about you or uh, have questions and inquiries about bringing you on or to something, how can people get a hold of you and find you? Um, easiest is Instagram, which my handle's at Adam Quigley, uh, Q-U-I-G-L-E-Y. Um, then I, I have uh, my own company that's called uh, Believe Performance Therapy. And that's BLV. So it was created for be yourself, love your body and value your passions. And I think we can summarize a lot of what we spoke about into those three mm -hmm. uh, categories, which is the way I, I treat a lot of patients and, and clients. And um, there's a blvperformancetherapy.com is, is also my website. And lastly, there's TikTok now, which is Quigs the Physio, um, <laughs> which has been a, a different... Uh, population i've been working with there um yeah. so it's q u i g s the physio which is Perfect. a fun fun different way of, of uh providing educational content so yeah that's a very different demographic over there i will put all yeah. of these links in the show notes so if you're like i didn't get that you'll just be able to click on it uh thank you again adam so much for being on I'm glad we were able to make this happen it was kind of we were like playing around with different dates but it happened and we made it work I love it. Of and I, I'm sure people are going to get a ton um, from this or, you know, be able to answer follow-up questions. Thanks for having me. Yeah. 
Did you know you can get a discount at trainlikeagymnast.com just for listening to these episodes? It's true. When you go to checkout, just use the promotion code LISTEN in all caps for a surprise. If you loved everything you heard in this episode, be sure to leave us a review and let us know what you want to hear more of. Until next time, train with purpose.